Hi, this is Roberta Fallon, and you're listening to Art Blog Radio. Today I'm here with Heather Blakesley, the editor-in-chief of The Root Quarterly. Hi, Heather. Hello, Roberta. Thank you for being here. Um, the Root Quarterly is a beautiful Philadelphia literary quarterly that debuted earlier this year. It has It's a glossy magazine kind of format, a little more petite in size, although a beautiful size, really good. Um, and volume one, issue one, has a cover that's positively gripping, I would say. Um, it's a sculpture, image of a sculpture of a snake that's like torturing itself. The mouth is wide open, it's like a cobra snake or something, one of the scary ones. And it's situated on a background that is a void that is about the same color as the snake. So I saw this and said, what is this <laughs> doing here? So, Heather, I want you to tell us about the origin of Root Quarterly. You're a writer, philosopher, musician, cello, guitar, band leader of a folk band, and you have 20 years of experience working in nonprofits, if I understand. Mm -hmm. And you were recently manager of Grid Magazine. That's a lot of territory to cover. So how did you get the idea to create your own publication? Sure. Well, um, let's talk a little bit about the snake. <laughs> yes, <laughs> Because let's. I think it uh, was very purposeful that we, we put this uh, sculpture by Darla Jackson on the cover. Um, because there's really two or three different reasons, I think, behind wanting to do the publication. Um, the more sort of philosophical uh, uh, bent to everything is that it was, for me, a little bit of a response to the 2016 election and realizing that the level of discourse in our country had devolved to the point um, where we really can't listen to one another anymore. We can't talk with one another anymore. We're so used to just personally attacking one another and not being able to evaluate arguments based on anything but the personal identity characteristics of the person who made the argument and or the journal or publication in which it was published. You know, if it came from the, if you're a liberal and it came from the Wall Street Journal, it's probably bad. And if you're a, a liberal and it came from the New York Times, it's probably good. Um, and I, I think that we need to do better if we're going to heal as a country and to move forward as a country. And so we chose this um, Darla Jackson sculpture in part because the first issue uh, is themed the animals. Um, we are animals, uh, even though For sure. <laughs> we don't like to admit it sometimes. And this image of a, a snake with its nail t uh, uh, tail tied in a knot lashing out because of the pain that it's in, but at the same time continually tightening the knot. Um, is what I see when I see this sculpture. And it, uh, it is, the title of that sculpture is called Old Hurt. Um, and we have a lot of those in this country. Uh, we have a lot of old hurts in this country. And unwinding them requires really difficult conversation and people on, uh, you know, all sides of the liberal to conservative spectrum to listen to one another in ways that we're not used to listening. For sure, for sure. And so I think reading through your publication, and you have a lead essay in there that really kind of lays out what you just said about the dysfunction in our country, we can't talk to each other, and 
addiction uh, to screens and to drugs and, and all of this, uh, dysfunctional families. But you ended on a relatively upbeat note, as you did when you just spoke a little bit about if we want to do better. And so I'm asking, do you think we can do better, and how can Root Quarterly help? Right. Well, I, I think, you know, as we, as we talked with people over the course of the year before we actually started the the publication, it um, you know it was actually printed in May. This is the the summer issue. We'll have another one in the fall, but for a year we had salons in people's homes, and you know I talked with people about um, where I thought we were in terms of the state of discourse, um, the fact that we don't have very many publications uh, anymore, especially in print, that celebrate our artists, that celebrate our thinkers, that celebrate the fact that Philadelphia is an innovative, revolutionary city, and ideas come from here, and they can continue to come from here. So, you know, as we talked with people, one of the things that resonated with them was, A, they wanted to have conversations with people in real rooms, face-to-face, -face, instead of the you know, hiding behind screens, hiding behind social media avatars, hiding behind, you know, even emails in, in some instances. It, it, it gives you a completely different um, way of being when you're talking with people. And so the first thing we wanted to do was propose to people that maybe we get offline a little bit. <laughs> and so... <laughs> and what was the response? Because <laughs> well, so it is so addictive. It is, it, and, we're, and we're all addicted to it, and, and it has degraded our level of discourse. It has weaponized all of our animal instincts and really put us in this position, um, you know, again, where we can't talk to one another and we can't be in a celebratory mood because we're constantly outraged and we're constantly looking for the next thing to spread vitriol on, on social media. So for us, it was in part a social experiment to do this. It wasn't really just a magazine. It was, you know, oh, if we build it, <laughs> will they get offline? <laughs> And so what we heard from people as we were talking with them is that they wanted an excuse. They wanted a tool. They wanted uh, an intentional community of, of people who wanted to do that and who wanted to both celebrate our artists and our thinkers, but also to talk about difficult ideas that are really only, you're only able to do in person because they're so complicated and they're so nuanced and there is so much hurt behind so many of them. Um, so that's really, you know, where the, where the heart and the, the soul of the magazine is coming from. Um, and we're really excited to see where it goes. And are you going to continue the salons? I mean, that was one of my questions. I kept thinking this is like a salon. Each little article could be a group of people talking together about an issue of, you know, Philadelphia addiction or whatever the issue right. was you wanted to talk about. Right. So are you? We definitely will, and I think we will do that in, in many different ways. Um, we certainly want to do um, events around the launch of, of each issue, you know, to have an issue release party at least at least in a sort of celebratory way, even if it's, uh, you know, um, informal. But I think 
you know, in the in the midterm, what we're looking at is can we have at least two to three events that are really substantive um, around some of these more difficult issues. Um, and that is still a little bit in formation, but it's absolutely a part of what our strategy is because I think there are also many more people who are willing to, you know, as a first piece of the relationship to come to an event um, and then to see the magazine and to see how beautiful it is, to see how engaging it is, um, and to find that article or two in there that you're going to sit down with and really kind of go through on a Sunday afternoon when you're sitting with your coffee and you're offline and you have a moment to yourself to really reflect. Hmm. That's great. Can I ask what the ages were of the people that were in the early salons? Did it you know, go sure. through generations or was it? It, it did. And, and in fact, that was one of the things um, that we asked people, you know, so we First, we said, you know, will you host something? Um, and if, if anyone listening out there wants to host something, they can find me at rootquarterly.com, send me an email, and we'll talk about it. Um, but we purposely said, like, we, we don't want this to be stressful. We don't want it to be expensive. Um, if you want to do uh, beer and popcorn, that's fine. If you want people to BYOB, that's fine. If you want to have butlered hors d'oeuvres and champagne, that's fine. <laughs> we'll take anything. Um, but the, the more important piece of it is really curating who's in the room and we wanted it specifically to be intergenerational and diverse in other ways and we are thinking about it um, as a way for people who should have met five years ago to you know the hosts to say oh well Jane should have met John five years ago I've been meaning to introduce the two of them they have so much in common they could be so much to talk about um, and this again is an excuse to do that uh, and so, you know, we asked people to, you know, curate their lists, and I, I never knew who was going to be there when I showed up, even if it was friends of mine who were, um, you know, inviting people into their homes. And it was great because we were able to, you know, talk a little bit about the magazine as it was in formation and get good feedback from people that helped us sort of iteratively come up with something that we thought would resonate with the most amount of people. Um, but people also just had an opportunity to talk um, and to talk about the idea of civil discourse. Um, and that's, real, that's, that's an important first step, I think, is just people agreeing to get offline, to be in a room together, and to discuss ideas. Mm -hmm. That said, you have a website for Root Quarterly. Are you going to do social media for Root Quarterly? as a way of promoting? So, <laughs> good question. Um, what we've decided is that where we can use social media to help spread the word, we will. So we will use social media, but we don't want it to use us. So um, we're not going to spend a lot of time interacting um, with people on social media, uh, particularly if it's, if it's not something that's advancing the conversation on something. Um, but we will use it to, to promote the magazine. So, you know, we've, we've got an, and you can follow us on Instagram. Okay, interesting. <laughs> Our resident millennial, uh, Alex, Alexandra Yard, Alex Yard, um, is always kind of pushing that. She, she's, that's her job is to make sure I don't forget about the socials. <laughs> So speaking of we, you keep using we, mm -hmm. your team of contributors, which you have the bios of in issue one, is a really interesting group of people. A lot of them come out of the nonprofit world. They come out of activism and art, um, amazing credentials. And I said to myself, these are interesting people. I would like to meet them. Yeah. 
Yeah. So are they, how did they come together? Um, so these are people that I have um, met in various contexts over the course of the last couple of years, um, and you know, many of whom now are very close friends of mine. And they're crazy enough to do this with me, which is their main credential, I think. But as you said, these are really, really interesting people. You know, um, Diana Liu is, is fantastic, and she and I met several years ago, actually, via Karen Randall, whose profile is in the back of the yeah, magazine. Yeah, she introduced the two of us, and she's got an amazing pedigree in terms of city planning and neighborhood development and economic development and worked at... Um, uh, WHYY with their Plan Philly um, uh, group, but when I first started talking with her and kind of checking up on her, I looked at her Instagram feed and it was all food. Not a single oh, picture of a building. interesting, because <laughs> she writes about food in Ex issue one. Exactly, and so, you know, we had, we were having drinks one night a couple of years ago, and I said, if I was ever crazy enough to do a print magazine, would you consider doing food and neighborhood coverage? And her eyes lit up, and she said, absolutely, I'd be absolutely in. So it was a lot of conversations like that. Um, Lauren Leonard, who's also another one of our uh, contributing editors, is someone who reached out to me when I was at Grid Magazine to invite me to participate in a theater production, and we've since been collaborator collaborators and uh, are actually working on a show called Dread X that's going to be performed during the Fringe Festival this year. It's not part of Fringe, but kind of a dystopian TEDx uh, oh. uh, show, which I'm very excited that about. very much fun. Yeah, and exactly. And then um, Walter Foley, who is also my life partner, is a really brilliant editor, writer, and copy editor. And so he's been conscripted into the project, and I would not be able to do this without him um, supporting all kinds of, of, of things that we're doing. And Angel Hogan is is a really um, well known um, you know writer and participant in the spoken word and first person art scene in town. She also happens to be one of the most delightful human beings I've ever met. Um, and there, you know, all of these people are people that I've known for a long time. Um, the only person who's not in Philadelphia is Joshua Megan, and he is a poet that I met when I worked in New York at Poets and Writers, who I have just a huge amount of respect for. Um, when I decided that I wanted to put some poetry in the magazine, there was really only one person that I would have trusted to do it, and it was Josh, and, and he said yes, too. So um, I'm really, really lucky to have all of these amazing you know, collaborators and contributors who are working on the project. And the final person who's, who's um, a part of the core team is, is Alex Yard, and she's someone that I've worked with at various jobs over the course of the last couple of years. She's an absolute gem of a human being and a person um, that I rely on in many ways, including as a good friend. So it's a great group of collaborators, and I would love for you to meet them, too. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I'm going to ask your business model, because mm -hmm. you have advertising and uh, in issue one, and they're beautiful ads. They're full-page ads instead of little quarter-page plus half-page plus mm -hmm. full-page, mm -hmm. and they're all quite striking, and they're in the art and literary world. Mm -hmm. So how did you do that? <laughs> 
Um, well, you know, we first picked on people that we are friends and family. Um, but in terms of the business model, what we want to do is have a subscription-based model that is supplemented both by um, you know, a small amount of advertising as well as donations. So we're set up through Culture Trust as a fiscally sponsored project there and can accept um, donations and we'll definitely need those to, you know, continue to go in the first in the first year or two. I'm hoping that it will be a sustainable model eventually, um, especially on a, you know, a, a relatively small scale. We're not printing 20,000 magazines, we're printing more like a thousand, um, especially to start. Um, but right now, um, aesthetically, we decided that we would only do full page ads and that we would do the ad builds. So, you know, if you... You're creating the ads. Exactly, because we really want this to be an aesthetic experience and a, and a tangible experience for people. Um, and so the ads needed to really fall in line with the overall aesthetic of the magazine. So even though they are you know, each distinct and uh, have their own sort of brand and, and look. Um, we wanted to make sure that they kind of were at the same level as the rest of the design in the magazine, which is brilliantly done by Michael Wahlberg. Um, he heroically put the first issue together in a week after we lost our first designer, and I cannot believe how beautiful it turned out. Um, One week? That's yes. quite remarkable. Yeah, he's an incredible designer, and, and um, I keep saying the same phrase, but it's true. He just, he ideates and executes more quickly than any designer I've ever met, and everything that he does is brilliant. So <laughs> we're very lucky to have him on the team, too. Very cool. Yeah. So are you able to pay people at this point through your model? We're starting to pay contributors. Um, right now, all of the editors who are working on the project, like you know me and, and the rest of the gang, are doing that other kind of work for free. Right. Um, but I do hope that we will eventually be able to compensate them. I think that that will just depend a little bit on you know how many how many subscribers and how many donations. advertisers we get and how much donations exactly. But we're we're definitely committed to paying you know writers and when we can illustrators and photographers. Um, because it's not free to create things. Um, I think that's the other thing that social media and the internet has sort of unfortunately trained us in. Um, and it's it's not, art's not free. It takes people to create it. And so we're trying as hard as we can to compensate people wherever we can. That's a great goal. Um, I want to talk a little bit about that last piece, I think it's the last article in the magazine that's about Susan Randall. Karen Randall. Karen Randall. Mm -hmm. um, <clears throat> it's about medical marijuana, and she's a senior citizen who has deep-seated and many years pain. Mm -hmm. So can you talk about it, and talk about it in terms of your relationship, because I looked at this, and it seems like you have a relationship to everything and everyone that's in the first volume. Mm -hmm. No, that, that's true. And I think that's in part because, back to what a magazine is, to me a magazine is a conversation. Mm -hmm. And so we tend to have conversations with the people that we know, right? And and I think, um, I'll, you know, I'll get to, to Karen specifically in a minute, but um, that's what it takes, right, to put this together. And what we're hoping is to expand the conversation circle. And by throwing the first you know, magazine out there to attract people who want to write for us, who uh, want to be featured in the magazine, who, you know, are, are artists that we might not know about. And I'm particularly interested in mid-career, uh, mid to late career artists that I think don't get 
you know, uh, a fair shake in terms of media coverage. It's either you're the hot new thing or you're doing a retrospective oh, on your whole sure. career. And specifically Philadelphia artists, or you would go farther afield than that? Specifically Philadelphia artists, yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, Karen is someone that I met via work uh, doing sustainability work many years ago. We were on the Green Economy Task Force together when the Sustainable Business Network was um, doing that, that work. I think it must have been almost 10 years ago. Um, and I just always admired her spirit and admired the fact that she constantly was connecting people and that she was a real Philadelphia booster. And she's, you know, she's put a lot of people in the right rooms together to, to make a lot of very interesting things happen. Um, and at the same time, she was hiding all of this pain, this deep, intractable, chronic pain that she was in. And so what people would see of her is her kind of you know, flitting around Center City business events, very, you know, well attired and smiling and, and, you know, connecting all of the right people. And she was in agony a lot of the time. And I, I just found that really affecting and interesting. And, you know, when I started uh, talking with her about it, I realized that I really wanted to tell her story because it was something, it is something that a lot of people go through. Um, and we're afraid to talk about the things that hurt us, whether they're physical or whether they're mental or, you know, whether it's addiction issues or other things um, like that. Um, and I think we have to destigmatize talking about it if we're going to be able to move people into situations where they can effectively move past whatever situation that they're in. Um, but for me, the other thing is really, you know, that last section of the magazine is called Switchbacks. And... There's a hard way to get up a mountain, which is to huff it straight up, and a lot of people can't do that, and we often don't do that naturally in our own lives. We have setbacks, we have you know, both career highs and lows, we have relationships with friends and family that ebb and flow, and at, but at every moment we're moving forward. And I think those particular inflection points are of, of great interest to me. And when I heard Karen, more of Karen's story, it felt like it was one of those things where she very likely could have just crumbled into her pain and died. You know, she absolutely could have done that. We all will eventually. <laughs> but I think for her, it's given her a new life, um, even just to be able to talk about it and to tell her story. Right. Well, you also have the miracle miracle of medical marijuana, which seems to be helping her quite a bit. Yes, exactly. To get through the pain or somehow deal with it. Exactly, which is a whole other thing that needs to be destigmatized. Um, and I, you know, I, I wrote in the the piece that as I was listening to Karen and listening to some of the things that she had gone through, my own mother had gone through many of them as well. And about halfway through writing the piece, I, you know, I called my mom to see how she was doing and said, like, have you considered? And she said, I just started taking CBD oil and it's helping with all of these things. Um, and my, you know, my mother is no, no fan of, of, of the marijuana. So uh, it was interesting to me that even she was sort of kind of realizing that it might help her uh, and it will help many other people as well. So, you know, again, it's just, it's an interesting story, but I think it's one that resonates with a lot of people because whether it's, you know, chronic pain or addiction or whatever thing that you're struggling with, knowing that there, you might be able to turn a corner and continue to make progress in your life is an important thing mm -hmm. to keep in mind for all of us. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I like the way you talk about switchbacks as you're still going forward. Mm -hmm.
Yeah. And sometimes it feels like you're not, because sometimes you are going a little bit down and looping back around. You're right. It but, may be a circle. <laughs> um, but, that is, but that is an effect, effective means of climbing a mountain. <laughs> mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. For sure. So um, fast forward, volume two is coming barreling down the pike in the fall, right? Mm -hmm. And in the back of the first issue, you have... Basically, you tell what the theme is. You've got another theme. Monsters is our next theme. I thought it was a, a, a Halloween-appropriate fall <laughs> sort of uh, feel. I didn't even think of that. I was thinking animals, and to go from animals to monsters is almost like going backwards. And I'm thinking, <laughs> yeah. where are we going here? It's a switchback, Roberta. Yes. Oh, got it, got it. Okay. <laughs> um, no, for me, it was uh, kind of having a little bit of fun with the time of year that it was, but also... Um, thinking about what what is a monster and who who and what do we consider monsters? Is, do are there ideas that are monstrous? Are there people who are monstrous? Uh, it's almost always more complicated than that. Um, one of the things that I'm really excited that we're going to be publishing is a is a reprint of a um, portion of an article um, about how historically monsters were viewed, even in kind of medieval times. Um, you know, monstrous births is, is one of those things, and portents, and mm -hmm. people kind of ascribing meaning based on the current political climate and religious climate and trying to kind of make their own meaning, mm -hmm. um, but essentially using um, scapegoats, whether they were made up or real things. And so we started talking about what that, you know, what what are those things? What are those things? Um, so that issue, um, we have an essay by Lauren Leonard um, about, you know, her as a huge Ryan Adams fan waking up that morning to the New York Times article where he had been Me Too'd and thinking, oh my God, do I need to delete all of his albums now? Can, can I do that? Do I want to do that? Which turns into a larger conversation about cancel culture generally. Um, do we want to start burning all the books and the CDs and having corporations make those decisions for us about what art stays and what art goes. Um, those are really sort of terrifying prospects to think about. Um, we also have uh, a graphic novelist, Eric Battle, um, who's uh, often drawing good against evil sorts of monsters for some of the work that, that he has done in, in the past. And um, Ginger uh, uh, Rudolph, who is a former writer for the City Paper and, and some other really great Philadelphia institutions is going to be writing that profile. Um, Angel Hogan, her own kind of personal monster for her is her own personal identity. She is adopted. She believes that she is biracial. She doesn't really know. Um, her family is her family regardless. Um, so she's exploring that sort of, you know, personal monster for her in a switchback essay. A switchback essay. Um, but I think having the themes really helps the writers and the staff to kind of coalesce around larger ideas, which is one of the things that we're interested in exploring. Wow. And so are you going to have art that permeates and is it can you tell us what that is is that eric ba um, yeah eric yeah Battle? yep yeah we'll, we'll definitely have some of um eric uh, battles work um angel has picked out a local artist who uh, we're going to have her her work as, as part of the um, illustration for hers um, we've commissioned a piece on monsters um as as well um, to go along with the monsters excerpt and chris spencer piece who, of art mm -hmm, um, chris spencer who did some really beautiful leonard baskin uh birdmen for us in the last issue is gonna is gonna 
hit for us again. He's at bat for for that as well. Um, and our designer, Michael Wahlberg, um, is just a he's a brilliant illustrator and designer and always has great ideas. So half of half of wanting to do something in print is wanting it to be interesting and visually arresting and beautiful. And so definitely with our themes, we will be threading that through the entire issue. And do you have a date, expected arrival date? Sure. It'll it'll be out in um, mid-September. Um, so we'll go to print in August, and we're busily working on getting all of the, uh, oh you know, the, the copy and the images together Thank now. Thank you for meeting with us. <laughs> I can't believe that you did this. No, it's, it's great. This is fantastic. Um, you know, and, and again, the, the biggest things that people can do to help us are to subscribe. Um, because we cannot pay the printer in likes and shares, and we also can't pay contributors uh, in, in uh, uh, free content. So you can subscribe, you can donate through CultureWorks, and you can also be in contact with us if you'd like to host a, a party or an event. Okay, and let's give people the website. Sure, it's rootquarterly.com. And... If they want to send a letter, a thoughtful letter to the editor, I notice that you only want thoughtful letters sent to you. So where do they send their letters to? They can send letters to letters at rootquarterly.com. Um, and the, the thoughtful part is really important to us because we are not interested in the same kind of dialogue that people have on Facebook or on Twitter. Um, we're purposely trying to do something different. And so we want people to do things that advance conversations, not shut them down. Um, we're not going to publish ad hominem attacks or straw man arguments. Um, it's really got to advance the argument in some way if, if we're going to do it, or it's got to say, like, this resonated with, with me, I love it because, uh, but we're, we're really going to try to stick to our guns when it comes to the civil dialogue piece. That's great. And have you gotten any letters since we've, volume we, one? We have started to, and we've actually been in dialogue with um, one of the people who submitted one because we didn't feel like it was in the shape that it needed to be when it was originally submitted and have given them an opportunity to um, resubmit the letter, and we'll see if, we'll see if they do. Um, but we're also going to put up guidelines online that are a little more specific for people to help them understand what we're looking for because we want people to make the strongest argument possible that they can. We want them, you know, we want it to, to reflect well on them and we want them to continue to be part of the conversation. That sounds great. So write in, people, all your essays that you want to have published and you want to join the conversation, join it with Root Quarterly. I've been speaking with Heather Blakesley. Thank you, Heather. It's been lovely. Thank you, Roberta. And thank you, everyone, for listening to Art Blog Radio, signing off. Bye.